and she was in floods of tears. She said, it just made my family so proud that I worked for a company where the boss of it rang him up, mm. didn't send an email or a text or a letter, but rang him up on the day and spoke mm. to him. I think if you're well treated, you tend to treat others well. Hello, I'm Robert Tame, and welcome to Working for Compassion. This podcast explores how using compassion and emotional intelligence can improve people's work lives and create competitive advantage for your business. I'll be asking my guests how we can make the world of work a kinder, more engaging and productive place to be. Tune in to learn compassion tips for yourself and your teams before your people start dropping out. My guest is an old colleague and friend, Adrian Pettit. Adrian has launched and led marketing agencies in New York and London and is currently the CEO of Done and Dusted X, an international entertainment and content company. In the podcast, we discuss what it's like to work under pressure, how that affects your performance and why keeping a sense of perspective is crucial. We discuss the lack of diversity in the agency world and consider the reasons why, according to Gallup, workers in the USA are significantly more engaged than their UK counterparts. This was an honest and poignant conversation and underlined to me the great opportunity there is to bring mindfulness, compassion and emotional intelligence into the workplace. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Adrian. Hello, Rob. Nice to, nice to see you and nice to be part of it. Obviously, you're in this space that's been affected quite a lot by the, the, by the mm. various lockdowns. Can you talk a little bit about how the last 18 months has been for the business and for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been incredibly difficult because we are inventing shows or we are developing shows and producing and promoting shows in all markets, China, Europe, America. And there isn't, you know, the, the doors closed. And what the reopening has meant is a number of things. One, investors are nervous. The, the, you know, insurance. You know, I was talking to the boss of a big insurance company called Swiss Re, who last year lost huge amounts of money on the Olympics being cancelled, on Wimbledon being cancelled. These are all things they've insured for 30, 50 years. There's never been a pandemic clause in there. And even now, if you talk to the big music promoters, they can't really get insurance clauses reinserted back into their cancellation policies. So it's been very difficult. And actually, there's still a lot of nervousness. You know, this week, the West End is reopening. And I was talking to one of my advisors, this is a guy called Nick Allett, who was the COO for Cameron Macintosh for about 35 years. I mean, Nick has shaped Broadway and, and the West End, really. Good guy, wonderful man, actually. And he was saying how really tickets are quite slow and we're expecting this sort of roaring 20s as we keep talking about everyone to pile back in because we've all been starved of theatre and music and concerts and all the rest of it. I said, actually, amongst younger people, there is a sort of lack of fear. There's a, there's a sort of sense of we're indestructible because we're 22 and we're going to go to festivals and we're going to do the stuff that you and I used to do when, back in the day. But a lot of people, you know, older people are much more 
considered. So there's a slow road back and it's been a very difficult, frustrating 18 months where I've tried to keep a sense of perspective with it. My backers, the partners of Dun Dusted, the investors in my project have been very patient and understanding. But at the same time, the rest of the business has been on fire. I mean, literally, you know, they've been pulling up trees in Los Angeles, making all these huge network shows, TV shows, whereas I've been standing still. And it's been difficult. And there are times when I really wonder what on earth I've done and why I've done it. You know, I gave up quite a big job in a safe, great big company that I've been in for 17, 18 years to do this because I was ready. I had an itch that needed scratching. And I think the first year, this is great, year two, oh, okay. And so it's really, it's testing me. It's, it's testing all of my resourcefulness, patience, and, well, yeah, strength of character, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. So calling on all your resilience, flexibility, mm. and well, your love of doing a deal as well, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I think the biggest problem is, is when you're writing reports every month or two months, is the narrative doesn't change. It's the same, oh, I'm working on this, we're waiting on this. And, that, and it's very easy to start to feel a sense of failure or, or a sense of not delivering because you're going, you know, I put pressure on myself. They, I'm well paid and well rewarded. If this works, it's all good. But I'm not used to not having things moving forwards. I'm not used to not, you know, and, 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 and some forces you can't fight. And if you're working with big people in China, you can't go to China. It's difficult to close those things out or if you're raising money and it's high risk really you know 80% of the theatre doesn't work so you're, ra- you're asking people to, to, to risk a lot of money at a time when things are closed at a time when there's no real clear roadmap you know on more variants well, well, you know the jabs have worked well and all that crowds are back into sport etc but actually, you know, money is hard, and there's a lot of money around in the city. There's a lot of investment capital around because banks are paying quarter percent, less than quarter percent. So people are looking for vehicles to put money into, no question. But we are high risk. So I'm in that game at the moment. I'm raising money for one of our shows, which I've never really done before. And it's quite interesting. I mean, you're working with very, very wealthy people. And, they, you know, by nature, they're not very nice. <laughs> Uh, or maybe that's the wrong word, but you know they ask for that they're very smart. Let's just say that they're, very, they're smarter than me. So, so I think the point. Get back to your point is getting up every day. There are days when you when you when things are looking good and you just get up and you really feel good. And there are days when you get up and you go fuck. It's going to be the same as yesterday and it's the same as last Tuesday and fourteen Tuesdays before that. And I think that is where it becomes difficult because I well I've got someone who works directly for me in Los Angeles and I've got one. 1.5 people who sort of work for me here. But really, I'm leading this. I don't have a Robert next to me or a Mike or, you know, the, you know I've always worked all my career with really like-minded, good people and around really creative people, Mark Whelan's or Steve Sutherland's and people yeah, you and I have worked with yourself. I've always had been part of a team. I like being part of a team. And it was interesting, when I took over Cake, when I moved back from New York and I eventually became the sole CEO of Cake, I always felt I was a brilliant number two. And I always felt I was Peter Taylor to someone's pride club. And I have no problem with that. And I still maintain that's what I am, actually. And I, I think it, it, 
I enjoyed the first couple of years I was back. I, got, I took over some other agencies and merged them all into Cake at the same time. And I said, I want my own office. I want all of them to come from their different offices and come into one place. We opened an office in Bedford Street. But I knew I had two years before we moved to King's Cross, the new Super Havas Towers. And it was just fantastic. And I put a board together. It was like putting a cabinet, a coalition cabinet together because it looked like a takeover of all these other internal agencies. And I said, no, you're going to be this and you're going to be that. And I had a great, again, I had, I had a great team. And I think being on, doing this job at the moment is, is on your own a lot. And yeah. that is really hard. Yeah, I can, appre- I can appreciate that. So that, that leads me to think about how are you managing yourself and your well-being and keeping yourself motivated and, and driven? Because it, it sounds... You know, lonely and tough. It is. And I think certainly working from home adds to that, uh, a sense of that as well, because you're not coming into an office. And to a degree, I quite enjoyed, at first I hated the lockdown at home thing. I've, I've never worked a day at home in my life. I've always been get up, go to work sort of guy. And hey, I'm quite bad tempered in the mornings and it's best I get out of the house, as, quickly, as you will remember. But actually, I came to quite like it. And I, so, so on one side, the, the, the work-life balance is tricky because I, I tend to have early morning calls six in the morning, seven in the morning, eight in the morning. So often by nine, I've done two or three hours of meetings. Then you get a gap, and then, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, LA wakes up, and you go again. So you get this sort of... And at some point, or on one level, that looks like a 15-hour day, and you go, oh, geez, that's unsustainable. Or another level, you go, well, actually, it's a nine-hour day, it's just it's got a five-hour gap in the middle. So what do we do with that? And at first, t- you'll get, you, get, you fall into the trap of taking your wife to home base and Tesco's and stuff. The key is to kindly get out of that and go and play golf or go for a dog walk or drive down and see one of your kids or something and or do some gardening. Mm. And, you know, so actually I overall, and and then I can usually take a day off, Mm. you know, and I play golf every other Friday with the same people at the same place in a beautiful part of the world in Sussex and it's and they're not, none of them are people I see outside of that they're not people I socialise with they've never, never worked with I, I would, they are friends in the loosest possible way and in a way that that is helpful mm. because they don't know you know they don't ask much but my mental health and I can be a dreadful golfer as you know and I can be a bit better than I perhaps once was but my mental health is absolutely Soars on the back of that, and it's because it's always a Friday morning, and I like the drive down there, and I like the drive back in the afternoon. I know it's a Friday, and the family's going to be around, and we've got people coming down, and we're going to do something. And there's a whole mixture at the end of the week, a sort of whole mixture. You tend to be quite optimistic, you know, and it's because you spent four hours walking around gorgeous countryside, even if it's raining, with a bunch of people who are kind, helpful. You know, they go, oh, you know, and we all take off, we're all into it. We take it quite seriously. We play golf, you know, don't muck yeah, about. Yeah. And that's the most useful thing, Rob, I suppose. Well, that sounds like a good balance. And, and as you explained, just settling into that pattern, taking that break during the day, and then doing things that are just different. That, that, that sounds very healthy to me. Just a question, because you, you've worked for a number of years in New York uh, and in London, and... There's a recent Gallup Global Workplace study that's uh, been released and talks a lot about employee engagement levels, which I'm interested in, in 
how that maybe contributes to, to, to workplace well-being. And the, the engagement levels in the US are, in this latest study, 36%, compared to engagement levels amongst employees in the UK of 11%. So that's quite a big difference. Mm. And I just wondered whether you've got any insights into why there'd be such a big difference between those two places. Well, I think there's a number of factors. I think in America, you're on an at-will contract. Even if you're on 100,000 a year, you're on an at-will contract, which essentially means you've got, you're on two weeks' notice. So people move around jobs much more frequently than they do perhaps here. And not uncommon that by the time you're 30, 31, you've had four five different jobs within, and certainly I'm talking about within the agency service sector. I'm not necessarily talking about professional services like teaching or, 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 or medicine or law, which, which I suspect is different, but certainly in the service sector, which is what I've always worked in. And so people tend to work, move around a lot more, and because you're on two week notice, I think you, you, you want to be seen to be happy. And I wonder if it's always true in America. Sometimes I thought a lot of it was fake. I mean, I... For example, if I didn't win a pitch, they'd bring me and go, hey, you did a great job. But you know what? You just came second. Okay, great. What did we not do well? Well, nothing. You did a great job. I know. It helps me to know what they did that we didn't do. So I want you to be ruthlessly critical. We didn't win it. It's okay. You know, but I want to know. And they really struggle to criticise you to your face. They really struggle. And I found a lot of that faux politeness. It's like... This is bullshit. Don't you think you're being helped nice and kind by being polite? You're not. You're, you're bit because I'm. I don't. Yeah, you know, we're we're not winning enough. Mm. There is a sense they never really tell you the truth. Whereas in Britain, you know, we're much more. You know, you didn't get it. I didn't like your team. Didn't believe. Thought your tech was rubbish. Your data was rubbish. Your strategy was off. You're not understanding of the market, and we didn't like your idea. Brilliant. <laughs> but but we will. We are going to ask you to pitch next time. Well, that's great. That that's what you need because that's how you get better. I think young people in Britain are naturally more reticent to say they're happy. Right. So there's that positivity in America, the American dream. Grow up being told, great job. World of opportunity. Their parents tell them, making their bed, they're a a rock star. You know, great job, great job, great job. Which, you know, in Britain, I say to my kids, make your bed. Well, you haven't made your bed, you're not doing it, you know. So I think there's a, there's a, there is that, there's a whole, there's a lot. It's a cultural difference as well. There are cultural differences, of course there are. And I think that, you know, whereas, you know, it'd be interesting to ask that question of a, of, of, of a bunch of people in China or Japan, for example, again, two very different cultures from each other as well as from America and Europe. And the commitment to excellence, the commitment to drive is, is almost unquestioned. And I think that, you know, I think it's very easy for, for Brits to go, nah, you know, because there is this level of expectation that we never earn enough money, we never get enough days off, you know, we're never recognised or thanked enough. There's all those things. And Skeptical as well. And maybe, the, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's some interesting insights there. I want to move on to compassion. That's what this podcast is really mm. focusing on. So what's your understanding of the word compassion, Adrian? I guess it's... Uh, Kindness, outward kindness, regardless of of the circumstances, isn't it? I think if you're compassionate, it's a bit like, yeah, showing compassion is being kind and understanding, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, or you know, you have a choice to. I think compassion is something where you have a choice to. You choose to be compassionate. 
because you weigh up a circumstance and, and you go, do you know what, I'm going to give you a break here or I'm going to be understanding of, of, of what's caused this. So I think it's, it's, I'm trying to find out what the right word is. Probably the, the it's unadulterated kindness, I would say. And how do you view compassion and its, its relevance in the workplace? It's sort of interesting. I think when you're, when you're at the bottom, learning your way up, you get forgiven for mistakes because we make mistakes by learning. I think as you get near the top of the pole, much less so. And I think... So maybe, in a way, compassion is means-tested in, in, to, to a degree, you know. It's also, you know, personal rather than professional emotion, isn't it, I think. So I've been compassionate and I've been more ruthless, I think, as well at times. So that, to a degree, would depend on whether I like the person or not. So there's a personal... If, do I believe in this person? Do I know their background, their story, their circumstances, what they're capable of? Are they worthy of this versus someone who I think doesn't take the job seriously, doesn't respect it, doesn't respect the opportunity, to, you know, in which case I'd be inclined to be less compassionate. And would you say in your experience the people that you've worked with, your senior team, you've had that relationship with them, that you know them deeply over and above just knowing them as a, as a work colleague? Is, is that something that you've tried to do in your career? I think so. I mean, I, I think... We all, I mean, I'm 53 years old, so I've sort of been at work for 32 years, which makes me sound really aged. So three decades, and I think certainly I am a lot softer and more patient now than I was. Definitely, there's no question about that. What do you put that down to, Adrian? Well, having children, being older, being a bit wiser, being a bit, uh, a bit more patient, perhaps. Having a more broader view, having experience, being treated nicely yourself. I think if, you, if you're well treated, you tend to treat others well. You know, we had some success with the business that was, I think when we were building it, it was very difficult at times. And you can get very not see the wood for the trees and very driven. And we were all committed. But we always tried to have a laugh. You know, we tried to not be too. But there were times when it was very spiky between Mike and me, certainly. And he was, yeah, he had young kids. So he was awake all night with babies and I put me in a lifestyle which meant I was going out late at night. So either way, we both turned up to work without much sleep and it could be quite... Monday mornings, were, we used to have a management meeting every Monday and God, I think everyone dreaded it because me and him would just go at people or go at each other and try and... Whereas we would never... None of that would ever dream of existing... You know, I mean, try and be... I, mean, I, I would definitely say... I know, I know people who would have viewed me as a bit of a, you know, tough of, of the partners. I remember someone being in a lift going, Pettit's over from New York, that means people are getting fired. And perhaps I was, maybe that's a role I had to take on because someone had to, something, yeah, we can't all... Do you think it's changed? Because I recognise that time and I, you know, worked in those industries and, and maybe that was said about me also. Mm. But do mm. you think that that's changed... In the context now, that's probably not how people talk or how people behave. I think you just get older, you get a bit yeah. kinder, to be honest, a bit more patient. I hope, I definitely, I mean, I would definitely have. I know yeah. I have. Yeah. 
Do you think that there's obviously different movements like the conscious capitalism movement, etc. Can businesses widen their purpose just beyond the bottom line and their shareholders? Yeah, absolutely. The best businesses do. I think certainly for staff engagement, having those sorts of social purposes, you know, doing well by doing good is a thing. There's no question. And, and, and you know, I think it's massively important. I mean... It, in smaller companies it's slightly harder to do actually because you don't have these big centralised resources but absolutely you, you want to I mean at Cape we did so much pro bono work for causes we cared about because we could because it was you know it was our company and if Mike wanted to go and take on Kit Kat over eucalyptus plants and, and sponsor a whole black ops thing over there then he was going to go and do that or with Amnesty we did, we, we did, we did or War Child you know, certain things we did huge amounts for, we, which we didn't make a fuss of. We didn't put it all over our website and go, look, aren't we bloody marvellous because we gave up two hours of our incredibly valuable, important time to save the world. You know, I mean, you've got to be a bit careful about... Blur. I mean, and, and Dun & Dusted is the same. You know, we do, we've just done Stand Up to Cancer, a big, huge network thing, which we, we do without... without we, do, we do a number of foundation shows that uh, the... Lorraine Jobs, Steve Jobs' wife, we do a huge amount of work for her educational part of the Jobs Legacy programme for getting kids into college, and, 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 and it, which is wonderful. So I think you need to do those things because otherwise, I don't, how, you know, if you, a company is a living organism mm. and it's only made up from some of its parts, which is people, unless you're, you've got, if you're making these things, fine. But if you're an ideas business, then you are only about people, and I've got you've got to have a causes that matter to people, and also you've got to use your your skills to do make the world a better place. And I'm, whether that, well, I don't be political about anything, but it it, 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 it's, it's, it for example, you know, you talk about you talk about the underrepresentation of of BAME in, in agency world is unbelievably appalling, given that, you know we're the core creative kids in the block. Actually, our, our record in it is dreadful. And it's not just the right thing to do to address that. It, it will make us a better business. And there's no question about that. And Chris Hurst, who's the, who's the global CEO of Hammers, has written a book called No Bullshit Business. And, and he's probably someone you should, you should go and talk to. He's been number one for a year in the business. In the, in w, again, Derek Smith, in the business bestsellers. He's a good, he's a good, Chris is a fantastic man. And he's a huge proponent of a lot of this compassion in the workplace, unconscious bias training. Why in agency world, you know, the pyramid is so narrow at the top for women. There are so few women in senior positions. The, the wage structures are so markedly different. And all these things that we think are from the 70s and 80s still very much alive in the in 2021, and they need to be addressed. Coming on about specific stories of compassion that, that maybe you can share, do, do you have any stories where you were on the receiving end of compassion at work and the impact that may have had on you? It's a good question, actually. I think, you know, I don't think I've ever been badly treated at work. I don't think I've ever been bullied or anything ever, to be honest. I think I've always been well looked after and, and well treated by my bosses, senior colleagues. So, you know, I think, I think there was, there's been times when, you know, when, well, towards the end of my time, my, my sister died very suddenly few years ago, really, you know, from, you know, 
being diagnosed in, in the early part of, well, sort of towards the end of, end of May, and she died, you know, two or three weeks later. And we had a lot of work on. We were busy in a lot of places. And, and, and in fact, we had a big group pitch, which I just wasn't able to be part of. And I sent someone to do it, and they really did a bad job. And it really was quite embarrassing. And I had to step, you know, make some very difficult phone calls to bosses around the world going up, apologising. But I remember and there was one particularly fearsome lady who was a bit of a mentor to me, and I rang her. And she said, look, you're, I know what just happened to you. And I know what you, you know, you're going through your family and and she you know she said forget it don't worry about it Adrian you've never cocked up something like this and I said you know I've got the World Cup on so 25 people in Russia doing all that and then pitching no one around to do it and then I just wasn't in work for a week I needed to sort out my family because they're all in a terrible state and but the company I thought was very kind and ultimately it was a difficult time I mean a couple of people turned their backs on me very quickly. The client did, actually, who I knew, because she, be, she used to work at Harris and got into this business. And, and, and is someone who has suffered quite a lot of illness, you know, a couple of brain tumours and stuff in her life. And I thought she was very, very down on me, or cake and me about it. And I was thinking, well, you, maybe you didn't know the circumstances and maybe you should, you know, and I, remember, and I thought that we're, we're probably never going to come back from that and uh, every time I read her work or see her work, I always think, mm. but overall I think, you know, I can't think of any really, I think they were, they were the company was always, you know, understanding and kind and that, that sounds like that colleague really stepped up then and, and yeah, and, and, I think so. I think you, you got to when things happen. Bad things happen in life and work is only, you know, it's only work we had a colleague, didn't we, loaded, you know, as an accident happened when someone was working on a job for us and it completely life-changed that person. Her, her daughter came and worked for me at Cake. That's amazing. We, yeah. That's mm. amazing. Yeah, for a couple of years. Good for Beth, you. Beth's daughter. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know she was her daughter at the time. Okay. She, she came and interned and then she, she said, can I meet Adrian? And I looked at her, I saw her now and I know you, don't I? And she produced a photograph wow. of her. I said, how's your mum? And she said, yeah, it, was, it was great. Yeah. And she spent a couple of years with us. It was really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's a really nice Because you and I remember story. that very, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so, you know. Yeah, that sometimes the world of work pales into insignificance. So that, that's good to hear. That was a story of you receiving compassion at work. What, what about stories where, where you were able to see somebody was suffering and, and, and to step in and, and, and maybe act compassionately and, and help them through that situation? Yeah, I don't know really. <laughs> but I like to think I'm kind, if as required. I had a terrible situation where one of my staff had a stillbirth. And she is, you know, someone worked for a long time for the company, great person. And I got a phone call on the Sunday night to tell me. And I've been, you know, talking to her on the Friday. And it's like she's going to hospital with her baby. It's all big news. You know, everyone's very excited for Lucy to go. And I remember I phoned her dad on the Monday. And I told this company, I told the staff, which I found really difficult to do. And I said, long I did this. And I was really upset. And people were, you know... I mean, you're telling 23-year-olds, you're telling 43-year-olds, you're telling young people, listen, you know, Lucy's baby died and she had to give birth to it this morning. And so 
you know, that's, a, that's just what happens, I'm afraid. And, you know, and I rang her dad, and, who I'd never spoken to, and had a chat with him. I said, look, I'm just what you say, we, we give her our love, and whatever you need that I can help with, you know that I am here, the company is here. That's the last thing that's on your mind. But just, and it, when I left the company three years later, to Lucy came to see me, and she, she, she's since had another baby. And she, she came to me and said, I've never talked to you about it. And I said, no, no, you don't need to. And she was in floods of tears. She said, it just made my family so proud that I worked for a company where the boss of it rang us up, rang him up. Mm. Didn't send an email or a text or a letter, but rang him up on the day and spoke mm. to him. And he's, you know, probably in his 70s, you know. And... They were so, you know, and I remember my Jim Dowling, my MD, said, you know, that was a brave thing to do. I said, do you know what I mean? That was a hard thing to do. But it, 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 I don't want to go on about it because it was just the right thing to do. That's all. But, but it's, it's the power of compassion. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you looking at, you know, your face, the emotion. I'm quite emotional about it now, it, actually. It, yeah, yeah, and it's a very mm. powerful mm. thing. So, um, yeah. And, and I'm sure it was powerful for the individuals, but within the company, that, to show that you were that caring. Yeah, I think so. But my, my, certainly my leadership team did, and she would have told people, and I think that that was just, you know, you can help someone during the worst possible time, and that's, and a five-minute phone call was hardly doing anything, is it? Let's be honest. But it was good, it's, it was, it's something that comes to mind. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I walked about trying to be compassionate, Rob. Particularly, you know, I think I tried to be understanding but you saw the suffering you saw the suffering and uh, in, in something instinctual made you act so yeah, that is a yeah. great example of acting compassionately uh, thank you what would you say Don and Dusted are doing to support the well-being of their employees with everything that's been going on with the pandemic we, we hear of more anxiety more stress burnout it, it is the things that's happening in the company that you're overtly thinking about the well-being of, of your teams? Yeah, I think we're quite close. People have worked work here a long time. People, uh, people I'm working with have been here 20 years, you know, 15. Um, and even the freelancers. Are, so there's, a quite, there's quite a family. And I, I, I get a bit, again, a bit cynical about the people, we're a family. Well, we're a family when it's going really well and everyone's making a lot of money. Yeah. You know. But it... It is a company where everyone faces it in the same way. There's an ambition, there's, a, there's a, an ego to the company. And I think there's an ego to the product, that really helps because it keeps you, you know, doing great big things. And actually, you know, these are quite showy-off things to... You know, I work with a bloke who you know, directs the Oscars. You know, I work with a bloke who you know, does... We, we, that team does Super Bowl. He gets Jay-Z texts him regularly. Bono does, you know. This is this is the world, and so that's ego, isn't it? And it's a pride, and I think people like that, and they 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 thrive off it. I think the company, when people need putting their arm around them, does. It's, it's hard work. It's it's brutally hard work at times, and there is stresses. But I think the company is very good at going right. You've got two weeks off, and off you go. And and there is obviously reward schemes in place. Mm. People are well, certainly the people who take on the most pressure. There's a lot of loyalty, and in the television and event world, where they are freelance contracts, loyalty is incredibly powerful and incredibly important, Robert. Well, I love the word loyalty. I think it's the thing I asked from my team most was be loyal to the cause. You know, to just go that you know that's 
support me, certainly. Would that be part of the company culture then? Loyalty is rewarded. Is it, I mean, what, what is the company I culture? I don't know if it's that explicit. I don't think you can, I'm not sure you can say that to a team. Be loyal and I'll reward you. So I think you can't tell people to be loyal. You've got, it's something you learn and you are rather than dri- driven into people. I think, you know, I can't make you love me. Either you do or you don't. I can't make you like me. You know, and I think a lot is like that. That's sort of emotional. But I think it comes with being part of a of a ecosystem that, or a support system that enables you to feel like I'm doing a job I love, I'm working with people I trust, I'm growing as a person, I'm, get, I'm getting more material rewards, you know, my career's going places, you know, I feel this is the, you know, I'm not doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I think all of that is part of that. Hmm. And compassion if you like, is that, is, is the embodiment of that, a mm. sense of spirit that I like going to work, I like working there, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. And in terms of leaders out there, you know, you mix with lots of different companies. Are there any leaders out there that you've noticed that are leading with compassion and kindness and altruism, uh, that they, they wear that on their sleeve? I, th- I don't know. I think certainly Chris Hurst, I mentioned, certainly is someone who has a great belief in you know in organisations and, and and the need to constantly support, improve, you know, better training, better support services, you know, all that world we were just talking about. And I think he would have, you know, this his book, no no bullshit business, talks about that culture of just remembering who we are as people and we are human beings and we're individuals and we, to get the best out of a team, how do you do that? And, and actually, you've got to do what you say. There's, there's a lot of emptiness comes out of companies, big, but leadership, leaders make big, you know, a bit like politicians, they say things, which is a good sound bites and look good on, a, on an annual review, but actually never manifestly. I, I think, you know, if you worked somewhere where everyone was really brutal and horrible, you would hopefully leave. Hopefully you, you have the, the option to leave and go and work somewhere where people are kinder and nicer and a bit more patient. And, mm. yeah, if you've got to leave a bit early on a Thursday and Friday to pick up your kid, then you're allowed to do that in 2021. And you're not penalised because you've got a more... You know, the, the traditional social setup has changed, you know, and... We need to be more flexible in our approach to how people work and, and where they come from, where they work at home, and maybe the pandemic, maybe some of these Zoom culture will continue. I, I, I suspect it will quickly start to dissipate, actually, and we'll start to go back to much more normal stuff next year. I hope I'm wrong. I quite like a 3-2 balance, personally, and I travel with my work quite a bit, so I'm often away for two or three or four weeks at a time, but I like the three, you know, coming up three days a week, it's nice to be in London, see you, or you know, have a physical chat, which you wouldn't have if you were just on it. You get to the point, don't you? Yeah. I like walking the streets of London. I like seeing colour life. But I also like the fact that I don't have to get up on a Monday at seven and jump on a train or a Friday. I can, you know, like I still get my work done. So if the business allows you to do that, then I think that's understanding and I think that's, uh, that's a good example. It's almost giving you more autonomy as well. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Final question, what single thing could be done to create a more compassionate work life? I think what single thing could be done, I mean, it's an interesting time to be doing this conversation, isn't it? Because I'm, this is the biggest challenge of my career and, in, 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 you know, I'm some way from succeeding at the moment. I mean, some way. You know, we're not about to 
give up either, but we are we are behind where I want to be, or expected to be, certainly. And I'm, I'm where I am expected to be, more importantly. It's not just my view, it's a view shared by uh, others. So it's, a, it's an interesting time to be thinking about compassion when you're really up against, you're just sort of, you, or, you know, there are times when it's all I think about. Is waiting for that phone call. Is he, is it, are we on this job? Are we not? Are we getting this contract? Are we not? Is that, is that investment kind of thing? Is it, is, I mean, and it has a, and it can make life at home difficult and make me quite moody and distant. And certainly, you know, you know, you lose a lot because you're not in the moment. My kids are still quite young. You know, young teenagers, and they, you know, they, so there's. But that's a, that's what it is a bit. And if I could, I wish I could probably switch off more and learn to control my you know, metabolic way I work and the way my brain operates. I think probably, you know, I mean, I remember a time in my life I didn't worry about anything. I literally when was that? I remember we, it was a period of time when we, you know, we were selling the company. We were in a court case with someone. We were, I was on like the fourth round of IVF. We were selling our house. We are living in a little basement in between buying these. And all this stuff going on. And I just remember thinking, be fine as long as, we, as long as she's pregnant. As long as she's pregnant, I don't care about the rest. You know, if we lose that case, we'll lose the sale of the, house, of the company. You know, that money will be gone. I've never had the money, so fuck it. You know, and I remember, and, and I often look back on that moment, going every single thing between that sort of December and March, like three months, just a short, and and, and now I sort of worry all the time. I'm always worried and. Worry about money. Well, what, what if this goes wrong? Well, then this is going to work. You know, this is sort of, and I think that that really does blur your ability to sit back and take a broad view, or take an energised view. And I think that I think I don't help. I think you know it's easy to sort of you know certainly during the first lockdown I drank way too much. You know, I've got a, I don't have a bottle of wine every night. I'll be on Zoom calls and like, a bottle of cheap bottle of red and that was a real thing I loved it that was my thing you know in the, in the start of 2021 didn't do that at all didn't really drink for, for three months because my wife was having you know some pretty heavy surgery so it wasn't drinking I thought we've got to not drink just, just. and actually everything was better you know I've sort of slipped back a bit into it again but so the things you can do I think to be which would help me be more compassionate more understanding self-compassion is another element of it yeah. it's not about just being compassionate to others it's looking after ourselves. It's the, the classic thing about being on the plane and the oxygen mask coming down. You need to put it on yourself first before you can help others. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I don't really think about that too much. And it's a really good point. And, you know, I think I take a lot on myself at the moment. And, there's a sort of, and, and that, can become a ne- that can be a good thing, driving yourself, but it can, can become a negative thing and, and a negative force because you just think, fuck, all the time. And if you're like this, and I'm not really used to being like this then that is not, you're not optimal, you're not, you're not thinking well, you're not making good, you're not having great ideas, and, and you're certainly not being very compassionate to anybody because you're just like, fuck, I've got to get this done. So I think that, you know, for me, what would help me much more is to be, is to be, is to be having more conversations with people about mind and physicality of, of you know, more healthy. Dare more, I say it be more vulnerable, maybe amongst your team? So that they understand and recognise that well, you are going through a level of pressure and that there may be some support there. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. 
Perhaps, perhaps. Certainly. I mean, I think that, you know, we're, sort of, that we're all much more aware of mindfulness. And, and it can become quite a big, you know, it can become quite... At times, it's quite, I feel quite overwhelmed at times with it, really. But, but at the same time, I, I really like it. I like doing this. It's, it's what... You know, I, I, just, I gave my... I wanted to do this. I could be still house on a really nice ticket doing a job I could really do easily with a really great bunch of people and I, and, and I but I wanted to give it a go and what's, what's, what, if it doesn't happen what's the worst that could happen well my kids go to state schools that's the worst that's, well fucking right you know <laughs> I, mean, I mean it really is I mean and I think so keeping that sense of perspective is really important and I think that I, I, there are tools I'm not using to help me do that and I need to explore that more and find time to explore that more and that's probably where I need to, I need to work on. But uh, it's been a great conversation. I, I, I'm really interested in what you're doing. I, I certainly think you should get and talk to Chris, and I would, yeah. I would, I like it. It's good. I like to hear more about what you're doing. So thank you. Well, I really appreciate your honesty, Adrian. It, it, it's been fascinating. It's been lovely to, to sit down and talk through these questions. And yeah, thank, thanks for your time. Thanks for your honesty. If there was any way that people could find out a bit more about your company, where, where should they look? Yeah, um, they can go online, donlusset.com, and find out more about me on LinkedIn and all the usual places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just write to me. Yeah. <laughs> at donlusset.com, always write to me. Great, great. All right, well, thank thanks you. very much. Well, thank you, Robert. Cheers. This podcast also has a website. The address is www.workingforcompassion.com, and that's the number four not the letter for. On the website, there's more information about how compassion, mindfulness and emotional intelligence is influencing the world of work. You'll also find my story detailing my journey to date and what has motivated me to start this podcast and website. You can also sign up to my newsletter and that will update you when I release new podcasts. Be great if you could do that. So why not take a look at www.workingforcompassion.com and yet that's the number four, not the letter four. I'm going to be releasing lots of new episodes with more great guests over the next few weeks. So please sign up to the newsletter and until next time, go well.